Welcome to the ATX Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Riley. The ATX Podcast is an interview show with noteworthy Austinites about their lives, their work, and their city. In this episode, I interview Richard Tagle, CEO of the Andy Roddick Foundation. During our conversation, Richard talks about immigrating to America, his career in childhood education, and the foundation's work to provide East Austin youngsters with after-school and summer programs. All right, Richard, thank you for uh, taking time to come on the show. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to have you and uh, welcome on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, so I thought we would start by learning a little bit about the background of, of your life story. I know uh, from what I've read a little bit about you that uh, you're an immigrant to the U.S. Yes. And w- would love to, for, for those that are, you know, are interested in learning kind of some, some of your personal background, learn uh, that sort of initial story. What, what brought you here? What were kind of the circumstances that brought you to America? <laughs> wow. Uh, harkens me back about 35, 36 years ago. Um, when I was, uh, 16 years old, um, basically left Manila, hmm. um, to, uh, move here, uh, to the U S uh, initially moved in with, um, my grandmother in, um, uh, Hawaii. Hmm. Uh, what, tra- what, triggered that was really more of a desire for me to to really be independent on my own but there has been a lot of um issues at home uh that had me thinking about you know where do i get to author my life you know it's typical teenage rebellion sure. uh from what my parents wanted me to be doing um in my life versus the kind of future that i envisioned for myself sure and uh, thinking that if I had stayed in Manila, uh, I would have taken one path uh, in terms of career, family, and all that stuff. And if I were on my own somewhere else, um, I could probably carve out the path that I really wanted for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, my my father really wanted me to um, take up business and finance. Um, half of my aunts and uncles are investment bankers. So sure. there was the pathway towards investment banking there. And even when I came here um, and didn't really know anything else in terms of orientation, uh, the first few courses that I took in college to continue my studies here was really around finance. I really thought yeah. I was on this investment banking track. Sure. Uh, it was only later on that I realized <laughs> I, I'm really not interested in it. Yeah. Um, but I was really interested more in uh, in how communities work, how organizations work. Uh, I was really more curious about why certain structures are in place in our society and how do we get to change that. Yeah. And so right in the middle of my uh, course, I shifted gears and shifted majors uh from from finance uh to uh um initially uh policy studies mm-hmm. but got got more interested in the research side of things so uh i really took up uh, applied sociology which is really more about social research i see um and uh really got into it when i interned for the conference of mayors uh who then hired me full time right. um to really help uh, communities across the country address some of their pressing problems. And mm. that's basically just started my nonprofit 
career track. Mm-hmm. And I know from my reading of, of your background, it seems like you have spent a significant amount of time working with uh, children's issues specifically. Yes. Where, where does that come? Is that a direct link to your own personal background or, or where, where's the interest come from in that regard? Yeah, I, I, my, my childhood was uh, very happy. Mm-hmm. I have fond memories of my childhood. It was my teenage years that really got yeah. um, uh, me into trouble. But uh, growing up in Manila, I was surrounded uh, with love and care and support. Um, like I said, a lot of a lot of uh, people in the family were into banking, and so they helped pave the path towards. Hey, this is how your future can be um, can be created. So it was very positive. Yeah. Um, and once I got into this notion of, hey, I'm helping communities look into how they can invest hmm. um, in, in structures that help um, disadvantaged um, families and underserved um, population, that's where I really honed in on, you know, all children should have positive um, experiences. Yep. All children should have the kinds of supports uh, that, can, that their community can offer. That's basically got me uh, hooked and focused on um, uh, really working uh, a lot in terms of children and youth. Gotcha. Um, at the Conference of Mayors, I really started with um, uh, monitoring health uh, grants to uh, community centers yep. uh, to focus on health education of, of women, families, and children. That was the, that was the portfolio's focus. But the more I got into it, the more I really understood that at least in, in, in the United States, the most underserved, the most disadvantaged, the, the, the really the population that didn't really have a voice yep. um, in the policy arena were children. Yep. Uh, so that's basically where I, I wanted to spend my energy on. And, and segueing from that point to your position now. Yes. So for, for those in Austin who are not uh, really familiar with the Andy Roddick Foundation in any way, Explain exactly what the kind of the goal is of the organization and and what specifically sparked your interest in joining the team. Sure. Uh, The mission of the Andy Roddick Foundation is to really work with the community uh, and expand opportunities for young people to learn, thrive and succeed. Mm -hmm. We've defined that um, opportunity as really the the time that uh, children and youth spend outside of school. So we found out when when the foundation transferred from Boca Raton, Florida in 2012 to Austin, one of the one of the big tasks that we uh, had to find out was where's the greatest need? Mm-hmm. Where can we um, carve a niche? Right? Uh, what can we help solve um, in the community? And the out of school time arena was something that kept popping up from families we talked to, from um, school district personnel that we interviewed, to other foundations. Yep. Uh, that uh, that we partner with right now. Basically, we ask them what they're investing in. Where are the gaps? Um, where are the supports available where they are not available? Yep. Uh, that's when we honed in on, there's very little going on in East Austin as far as out of school time supports, especially in the summer. So we honed in mm. on, the, uh, on the summertime and uh, really developed and designed a summer learning program that we piloted in 2014 with 78 students. Mm. Um, and now basically we partner with three elementary schools all in East Austin, uh, bringing summer programs, mm. uh, six week summer learning program to these schools in addition to um, 
supporting after school um, activities during the school year, during the school year, because one of the things that we also found out in our assessment was there's a lot of after school programs. Mm. Uh, Summer was was the big gap. uh, So we filled that in. But instead of doing our own after school, uh, we decided, why don't we just support existing after school programs and bring them to the schools uh, that need them the most? So uh, now the foundation um, has produced incredible results and outcomes uh, um, among the students that participate both in the summer and after school activities. We're looking into partnerships mm-hmm. um, uh, with other programs that are really looking into um, uh, bringing high quality uh, out of school time programs uh, for students. So we, for example, we've invested in Book Spring, which is a literacy program for first and second graders. Mm. Um, so we invested in them um, for the past three years to expand their okay. offerings. Uh, we also partner with other foundations and pull resources together so that we can scale mm. um, summer learning opportunities across the board. So that partnership is really more um, Central Texas focused. So we we basically have programs that are for, uh, funded and supported um, as far as Johnson City, we have some programs, I think, in uh, Dripping Springs, a lot of it uh, within the city of Austin. Hmm. Uh, but we've now looked at how can we really leverage what we know about high quality programming? Yeah. How can we invest in other organizations that are, are really focused on high quality uh, programming? And how can we influence both private funders and and the public, mm-hmm. uh, our, our city leaders, our policymakers, our state legislators, to really invest in the kind, uh, in these kinds of high quality learning supports for for children. And, and so, you know, if if I were a young East Austin resident or a a parent of an East Austin youngster who mm-hmm. were interested in getting involved, what's what's the best way for them to contact the organization or pursue potential opportunities for after school programs or summer programs for themselves? Right. Actually, there is uh, an office within the Austin School District that can guide them in terms of what resources or programs that are available both in their neighborhoods, in their schools. Uh, there's also um, parent resource uh, information uh, that each school should be providing. Yep. But uh, people can also look into our website, uh, uh, arfoundation.org, mm. uh, to find out more information about what we do. Yep. How do we find high quality? Uh, what are the investments that we have been uh, making in the community? But a lot of this information, um, I think one of the things that that uh, that we're working uh, with the school district is is how do you get that information out to yeah. the public yeah. this should be general knowledge um, uh, families shouldn't take uh, a lot of time or go through a complicated process to find out where can their children go to mm-hmm. um, if they need additional learning supports if they need mentoring if they need um, activities you know beyond school hours um, for some, it's it's easy. Some schools are easier to work with than others, yep. uh, as in any um, any case. Um, some it's it's still a barrier in terms of language, uh, in terms of uh, the kind of programming um, that ch- that their children need. For example, if if a child or a student is interested in the arts or is interested in um, STEM programs or robotics, mm-hmm. right? Specific programs you still have to look for. Right. Um, that's not readily um, available. But I think the district is is um, getting better at communicating that and making 
a lot of families aware of what's available, both in their schools, in their neighborhoods, and in their community. And and for the for the students who are admitted into the programs that are sponsored by the organization, mm-hmm. is it fully free for them, yes. or is there any sort of payment that needs to take place from their side? The summer learning program that we provide. Yeah. Is free to the families, okay. um, as well as the after-school activities that we support. Okay, a lot of the um, uh, programs that we invest in are also uh, free to the families. And the summer program is that an overnight camp, or what? What exactly do the do the students get through the through that program? It's a it's a six week summer learning program. It runs from Monday to Friday. Okay, uh, I think from the middle of June to about. Um, Late July, um, it's it runs from seven thirty in the morning to about uh, four thirty five o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, and uh, within those six weeks, they're exposed to a wide array of learning activities from academics in, in reading, writing, uh, math, mm. uh, STEM uh, programs and activities. We have arts and enrichment mm-hmm. um, activities as well as sports and fitness. Yep, uh, they learn. Um, five different sports uh, within those six weeks. They, um, we get a lot of uh, partners. For example, Austin Blacks mm-hmm. uh, is a great partner of ours who uh, teach our students how to play rugby. Okay. Um, and then we have a lot of organizations and uh, private sector businesses who come in and volunteer their time mm. um, to teach um, our students. Um, you know, any, anything from robotics to uh, how to play tennis, or even uh, I think uh, this last summer we had racket, uh, racquetball yeah. and cricket yeah. um, as an offering. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and what's the age range that would qualify for someone to, to get involved in a summer program like that? It's uh, we focus on elementary. Okay. Uh, so uh, rising first graders to rising sixth graders. Mm. Uh, the students who attend those three schools that yeah. we partner with. Yeah. And to your prior comment um, a, a bit earlier, is the is the issue really getting the message out so that local residents know this is available to them, or is it still an issue of of uh, limited finances where there's too much demand, and you, you know your team is working on how to supply the services that are being demanded? Yeah, that's a great question because throughout the state of Texas, there's still uh, 1.5 million children who are waiting to sign up in a program if it were available in their community. Mm. So from the get-go, yeah. access to available sure. programs is yeah. is a problem. Then we've been talking about how do we how do we close that demand gap because um, there's a lot of after-school programs throughout the state. There's a lot of after-school programs throughout the city. How can we make these programs both accessible, affordable, and available mm. uh, to the to the students that need them? Yep. Um, affordability is something is a is a big issue, especially for um, underserved families. The cost, uh, the average cost of a summer program, for example, uh, runs between three hundred and four hundred dollars on yeah. average yeah. on a weekly basis. Yeah. A lot of people can't afford that, sure. um, but a lot of high quality programs. Um, are expensive mm-hmm. and very few are available for free. Yeah. So it also creates some kind of an equity uh, gap that a lot of more affluent families within Austin can afford to um, partake and avail of high quality programs, yeah. whereas the families that need them the most, especially those residing in low income neighborhoods, yeah. um, have limited options. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the kind of dilemma that we're trying to um, solve. Sure. And for for the students and families that 
you know, are interested and do, do want to get involved in these programs. Is there a formal application process that gets vetted by your team and then a certain percentage is admitted? How does that process work? It's, it's open to, again, the students uh, who attend the schools that we partner with. Mm-hmm. And within those schools, basically, we do promote okay. um, the program across the board, I mean, across all the families uh, of students attending those schools. Um, we have about, you know, half of, of the students uh, attending the schools are interested in participating. Mm. We do have limited capacity in terms of how many students we can serve um, in a given period. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people who uh, or a lot of families who want to participate in the program get to. Gotcha. Yeah. And as you look into the future, you know, the next three to five <clears throat> years, what what success look like from your perspective? Uh, I mean, if you if you could paint the picture you would like to paint, what what is what does that look like in, in terms of the success for the for the foundation? We are actually in a going through a planning process right now to look at the next three years mm-hmm. of of the foundation's work, and we're we're talking about both scaling the impact of high quality programs not just in Austin but uh, but throughout the region. Yeah, we're looking at how can we help. Um, scale high quality programs that um, that are reaching the students that yeah. need them the most, either through partnerships, either through investments. Um, we're also looking into um, expanding even our own um, programs, serving more students in yeah. those partner schools and identifying um, other summer programs that, that can really uh, expand their reach. Yeah. But we're also trying to get the community to be more aware of why is there a need yeah. for these kinds of programs? Why is there a need to look at learning supports that children need access to beyond school? What's the community's role in making sure that children are learning uh, beyond school? When you look at the time, uh, the waking time that, that children have, uh, basically less than uh less than 20% of their waking time are actually spent in school. Hmm. Uh, when you think about weekends, when you think about holiday, you think about the summer, yep. uh, given given a year's schedule, 20% of that time is actually spent in school. Hmm. The other 80% is actually spent in, in, in the community, in the neighborhoods, um, with other folks, um, in libraries, in museums, in com- uh, amusement parks, in, in community centers. Yeah. Uh, and all of these places that are community-based can play a role in enhancing that learning experience, yeah. right? And we want uh, we want the community and the public in general to really understand the what's the value of those learning experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they create the kind of of character and citizenship uh, and the social emo- emotional learning side of things? Um, what does that say? to a child growing up in Austin, if they look back in their childhood and say, hey, I had access to a community center, I had access to mentors, I had access to role models that I can talk to. Um, in addition to that, I had great schools, yeah, mm-hmm. that I was attending schools that yeah. really taught me these skills. And then outside of the school, in the community, everywhere I looked, um, basically they were they were looking out after my uh, my well-being. That's the kind of vision that we have yeah. uh, for Austin that 
as children grow up, they look at it as a, as a community that had their back. Yeah. Yeah. And the genesis for the interest from Andy's side, wh- yes. where, where did that come from? What, what is a former professional tennis player doing, getting involved in <laughs> children's education and after school programs? It's, it's a very interesting story because uh, Andy himself would tell you that he wasn't really a stellar student. Yeah. Um, he would often tell the staff, you know, uh, at best he was a C plus. Yeah average student he wouldn't raise his hand in the classroom he wouldn't be the one to to be engaged in a discussion inside the classroom but when he held a tennis racket at age nine in an after-school program that's when you know the the passion was was sparked the this kind of hey i discovered what i'm good at i discovered uh, an interest that i can that i can pursue i discovered a talent uh an inherent talent that i had and and ran ran with it basically and so this notion of um, if he didn't have that opportunity, if his if his parents didn't sign him up uh, to a, to a tennis camp in the after school, he probably wouldn't have discovered yeah. um, that he was he was superb at it, and that's what he wants to bring um, to young people now. Yeah, that he's able to to do that, uh, that he can use his voice to promote these kinds of opportunities, and. Um, when I, when I first came on board, uh, and and Andy and I had a conversation about this, I said, "Do you want tennis to be a big component of this?" He goes, "Well, tennis was a big thing for me, but yep. I don't know if that's going to be a, the big thing for for the kid around the corner." Sure. So he was really clear about, "Well, I want to provide all sorts of opportunities, a wide array of learning opportunities." So. I want to see arts. I want to see STEM. I want to see reading. I want to see, and and of course, you know, sports and fitness uh, is going to be part of it. But he says, let's let's expose these kids to all these different things, and hopefully, you know, one area or one subject matter or one experience would spark passion and, yeah. and curiosity in, in all of them and see what sticks. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I think you've been doing this now with the Roddick foundation for five or six years, uh, six and a half, six yeah. and a half years. Yeah. So in that time, you know, you were mentioning the, the story about Andy at age nine. What, what's your favorite story or a favorite story of a student from the six plus years you've been doing this that really resonates with you? Oh, still? There's, there's so many. Um, I, it, when I have time, I would volunteer at our summer program and, uh, there would be times when, uh, when kids I, I work with would often ask me about what I do. Yeah. So I get to tell them about what I do yeah. and, um, you know, I get to tell them about what the CEO does or that I report to a, a board of directors. Sure. They say, well, you know, who's your boss? Is, is Andy Roddick your boss? Well, he's one of my bosses. Yeah. I have 12, right? Yeah. You have 12 bosses. No wonder they're bored, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's also uh, another time when, um, so during those six weeks, we expose them to different things. So there was one week uh, we had, uh, a chef from, uh, Hilton come and, um, was it a, a sushi, uh, class, Brian? So, so the chef basically taught them how to make sushi. So one of the students, uh, basically asked me, Hey, can you really make money out of, out of cooking? Because I think I want to be a chef. Yeah. yeah. Lots of, lots of chefs make good money. The following week we helped them build solar powered cars. And so he said, Oh, maybe I want to be an engineer and design cars. Mm-hmm. The, the, the third week we had the, um, architects in America, the Austin office of architects in America come and help, you know, help them build these structures that we call wonders of the world. Mm. 
where the whole gymnasium was laid out in a map of the world and they had to create like a structure like the uh, Taj Mahal or the Great Wall of China and then they have to place those somewhere yeah. uh, on the map uh, to know their geography. And the same student says, oh, maybe I want to become an architect, right? So by the end of the six weeks, there, there was like six jobs that he wanted to, uh, <laughs> uh, to have. And um, uh, originally, uh, he wanted also to become a football player who's also a businessman. Mm. And he says, oh, Mr. Richard, can, can, like, can I have six jobs? Can I do all of these <laughs> things? I said, you, you, can, you can do whatever you want. It yeah. uh, just means that you have to go to, you got to have uh, six majors in yeah. college, and that might be a, an expensive um, uh, endeavor. But uh, every, everything was like just a new discovery for him, which right. I love because sure. it was like, if, if he wasn't in this uh, program, he probably would have thought that the future was be- very limited. Um, but that experience and that kind of example really solidified for me like, you know, the horizon is for, for all children to see and, right. and, and, and have them carve what that future looks like. Yeah. And uh, you know, to, to the, the five-year goals or the scaling goals that you were mentioning earlier, I, I imagine some of that is just systems and principles you want to put in place, but some of it must be financial to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were mentioning partnerships earlier. What for, for, you know, Austin corporations or companies that are interested uh, from your perspective, what, what is the ideal situation or relationship with a, with a local company or a corporation that could really help the program? What, what would that look like from your perspective? That's a great question because we do, we do love those, uh, partnerships with, uh, local companies and, and corporations because they could run, they could run the gamut of, uh, having their employees volunteer, yeah. um, in the program, um, having the students come and visit their workplace and yeah. find out more about what's it like to be, for example, uh, a financial consultant yeah. um, at PwC, or what's it like to um, to be a, uh, a software designer, you yeah. know, for for WP Engine or for um, uh, uh, shipping uh, software programs at UShip, which is a is a great partner of ours. Uh, students come to their offices, see their, you know, what's what's a what's a typical day um, uh, for them. Um, they get to also sponsor activities. Yep. Um, so they get to sponsor spring break, uh, the spring break camp, which is, um, a three day, two night. That's an overnighter, okay. uh, that we have with fourth and fifth graders. They can sponsor that. They can sponsor a lot of our events. Uh, we have a gala coming up, right. um, uh, which is our major, uh, fundraiser. We have a lot of, of, uh, companies sponsoring, uh, that event. Uh, we're also looking into, um, kind of innovations uh we have we've been thinking just yesterday we were talking about how to deepen relationships with families and the kinds of supports families need to have um in order to be become better advocates for their children children's education Hmm. um so we'll be looking at um opportunities for companies to sponsor family engagement activities uh throughout the year so lots of opportunities for companies to work with us in that regard. Gotcha. And I know before we started recording, I was mentioning that I, I went to the fundraiser last year with Roger Federer and I know that the, the yes. gal is coming up in a couple months. Are, are those the two primary breadwinning events every year, you know, a celebrity appearance in the gala or, or, or other, are there other opportunities that, that also really financially help the, help, help the foundation? Yeah, overall? we have uh, we have two events a year that really, um, 
both bring in the the, the funding that we need um, and also the kind of donor base yeah. that we can mobilize. So uh, we have a spring event, our brunching uh, event that's, that's really uh, lighter in yeah. terms of, of content. That's where we have people come over, um, have brunch with us. They mm-hmm. get to meet the families that we're serving, um, the students that participate in the program. Um, and then we have the gala, yeah. which uh, which is really more high end. Yeah. Um, we raise about a million uh, dollars incredible. from that event. Uh, we have a concert um, artist um, every year, yeah. uh, which is basically the main kind of um, feature of, of the gala. We have Seal coming uh, this November, so we're excited about that. Uh, we also have a major donor uh, circle called 40 Love, okay. uh, where every donor contributes about 40000 a year for three years. And that really supports the operations of, of the foundation. So beyond that, um, all other uh, proceeds, all other uh, donations that's uh, forwarded to us goes directly to the programs. Yeah. Um, we also have an opening matter circle, uh, which is another donor circle, hmm. uh, which is also a three-year commitment of fifteen hundred and above okay. a year. Um, so, and then we also have uh, other fundraising and fundraising uh, arms. Called, and the, the leadership council is a growing kind of network of young professionals. Okay, we formed that back in two thousand fourteen because we were new. Uh, we were. You know, we were 12 years old back then, but a lot of the base was in Florida. So when Andy retired, uh, decided to move back to Austin where he grew up hmm. and uh, decided to bring the foundation with him. Uh, so we were the new uh, kid in town. Yeah. Nobody knew us. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people knew who Andy Roddick was, but didn't know that he had a foundation. So we formed this leadership council to uh, to really spread the word. Uh, and these were young professionals who would network uh, as part of their work or would always be in the social circles. Yeah. Um, we started out with, I think, about a dozen or uh, or so of them now. That has grown to about 42 people. Okay, uh, That has really become our uh, uh, great ambassadors yeah. of spreading the word about the foundation. Yeah. And, and is East Austin for the foreseeable future, will that be the primary focus of the organization or, or not necessarily? Uh, right now we're focused on East Austin because this is where the, the need is. Yeah. <clears throat> but we know down the road with, with demographic transitions and what's happening with, with Austin in general, that a lot of low income families are moving out yep. uh, of the jurisdiction, which is, um, which is an issue that we really want to address. But um, as far as we're concerned, we go where the need is. Yep. Um, there will always be a need here in Austin, um, but uh, we're also looking at part of our planning process is we're also looking at where else can we make a difference right. and how else can we make a difference uh, with the families that we're serving. Long term, is there for, for the foundation itself, is, is there another organization or another foundation uh, that this organization is trying to emulate? That's sort of a model, mm. the gold standard from your perspective, or is this sort of, you know, you're starting from uh, your own identity and want to kind of create itself as, as time goes on? We're actually in a in a very unique position. In fact, the opposite is happening. A lot of foundations are starting to contact us about how do we how do we structure our work. The reason why we're unique is we're both uh, 
uh, a philanthropic and um, we're a philanthropic agency. Yeah. We share the resources that we um, that we raise, but at the same time, we also run our own programs. Yeah. And at the same time, we also have a public awareness um, role that where we're making the public aware of what the needs are and when what are the strategies needed to address those needs. So we're an advocate, we're a funder, we're a program provider. Right. Very few um, organizations in the nonprofit sector um, play all of those three roles. You're yeah. either just a program provider, you're just a funder, or you're just an, an advocacy yeah. organizations. We're playing we're playing those three roles. Yeah, some chutzpah there. <laughs> it's uh, uh, so it's it, even even with with me and the and the rest of the team, we're also talking about how do we balance this? Yeah. Uh, where is the biggest investment in as far as our structure and capacity? Do we do we expand our direct programming, or do we expand the kind of investments we make um, to other organizations gotcha. and partners? But the number one rule that we have is we shouldn't reinvent the wheel. Yeah, we should invest in organizations that know their work, know their uh, know their space, and and does their work very well. The same way that uh, that we decided when summer learning was the biggest gap here in East Austin, that we decided if nobody else is playing that, then let's uh, let's start one. Yep. Right. And the same way that when we look at the after-school landscape, we saw a lot of organizations that do that very well. So we yep. might as well just invest in them as opposed to uh, duplicating efforts. On the advocacy uh, component, we're we're really the uh, the, the flag bearers and 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 the first one to say that high-quality programming um, is essential. Yeah, that's what all children need regardless of of status or race or creed or class that high quality programming is what makes the difference yep. um the availability uh, availability of high quality programming the affordability of it the accessibility of it um that's what we're trying to get the public to be aware of mm-hmm. um that this does merit public investment and support and demand for um so when we look at all of these things that need to be done, um, we're looking at what's what's the space for us to really have a niche around. Um, so we are looking at all those questions of should we expand our direct programs? Where else can we invest? Yeah. Um, and how much of a voice uh, do we need to have? And how much um, how loud should that voice be? Sure. Um, because there are other organizations throughout the state. Um, and within Austin, that advocate for uh, for children and youth, and right. and we want to be able to uh, tap into that. Yeah. Uh, last question about the foundation. Then I, I want to ask you some Austin-based questions okay. uh, and and, uh, and life questions. Um, for uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but if if I if someone listening to this knows someone who lives in East Austin and could really use an after pro, after school program like this, or I'm a student and I happen to hear this. Uh, what the best way for them to get involved is, is that to go directly to the website? Is it to email somebody, um, within the organization? What, what does that look like from? Yeah, from I would, I, the first step is go to our website, yeah. find out as much information as, as you need or want. And if it's not on our website, the, you know, the answers to the questions that you have, you can send us an, an email yep. inquiry at arfoundation.org okay. or, uh, send an email to Brian yep. uh, Stephens, our chief communications officer at Brian at arfoundation.org. Okay. Um, 
And and from there, we could actually, if we don't have the answer, we can refer you to somebody who does. Okay. And the website the URL is arfoundation.org. That's right. right. Okay. Uh, so to to Austin itself, yes. you've been here a long time. Um, Six and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> Longer than a lot of people who have moved here recently, myself included. Um, it, it, one one question when I had uh, when I moved here that I, I uh, wanted to learn from everyone is is there what is the hidden gem in Austin that you frequent a bar. Uh, a hotel cocktail area is something that that you know about that doesn't seem to have reached the masses yet that uh, that you would recommend to your your close friends and family to to check out in town. Oh my God, I, it's fifty four years old. Uh, my my bar days have long been gone. Sure, but um, there's a lot of of fun neighborhoods, fun places uh, to visit in Austin. Uh, I'm a foodie, mm-hmm. um, so I try out new restaurants all the time. Yeah. We have, uh, you know, Franklin's, as sure. everybody knows, for, for best barbecue. We go to Quacks a lot for for their cookies and uh, uh, sweets, although my doctor told me that I should limit my, <laughs> my sweets from here on. Um, but there's a lot, you know, Uchi for... Um, yeah. um, is something uh, is a is a Japanese place that we very popular uh, often go to yes and you need to make reservations early on yep. um, but also that just you know your usual um, um, you know uh, Torchy's tacos yep. um, you know there's a lot of good inexpensive places mm-hmm. around here I've, I've actually I, I lived in Washington DC for 25 years before moving here and and Within the first six months of moving to Austin, I've gained 15 pounds that I, I never lost. So, yeah, I went from 185 to uh, uh, close to 200 pounds, and I've, and I've hovered around that weight um, for six and a half years. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Um, how about, you know, your, you know, generally your favorite thing about Austin and, and also as the city grows exponentially, as it seems to be, um, in time, one thing that you hope the city retains as it, mm. it becomes a more of a major American powerhouse and major city. I'm actually surprised because when, when the opportunity to move, to move to Austin came, I was, to be honest, hesitant. Um, After 25 years in Washington, D.C., which is a very global, diverse place, um, uh, you know, a political kind of power center uh, for the world, I said, why would I want to leave here? Uh, Why would I want to leave D.C. for for Texas, which I heard was very conservative, um, uh, Republican, um, but... Within my first six months in Austin, I I was pleasantly surprised at how open-minded yep. people are here, how um, casual mm. uh, people are here, and how global actually the perspective uh, is. There's there's actually diversity in terms of a, a deeper understanding of what's happening around the world. Yeah, um, something that I never expected. Uh, any city to have outside of Washington, D.C., sure. maybe New sure. York yep. or San Francisco. Yes. Um, uh, but I was really surprised that Austin has that kind of global perspective and, yep. and really knew Austinites knew what was happening um, everywhere else. Yeah. I would hope that we would retain that because I, I think as as we grow and develop, um, one of the things that that I love about this place is that um we're aware of what's going on. We're aware of what's going on in our community yep. and we're very passionate about it. Um, 
you know, um, I, you know, school board meetings, city council meetings are always crowded. Um, there's always forums going on in terms of how do we solve gentrification? How yeah. do we solve, you know, how do we address race, um, racial equity and, and how do we diversify, um, and ensure that opportunities, um, uh, that, uh, that, uh, uh, tech based city or, uh, a growing developing city, um, uh, is open to, uh, to everyone and benefits everyone. So yeah. these kinds of conversations, uh, I lived in. DC for 25 years and those conversations have been have been in pockets and yeah. I, or isolated within several uh, sectors um, uh, I find that in Austin you can actually talk to anyone uh, whether it's east or west or whether it's somebody in the tech industry or in the nonprofit sector that yeah. we're really concerned about the same issues yeah yeah um, some life questions I wanted to ask you. So yeah. I, I know you were mentioning your, what sounds like a, a happy childhood, but a, a childhood that landed you in America in your teenage years. Yep. Um, if you had one, who, who was your childhood hero and, and why? Uh, my father, uh, which is an obvious answer, but, um, my father and I didn't get along, mm-hmm. um, very well, uh, especially in my, uh, between the ages of, of 11 and and 16. Yeah. Um, but I saw him as a very hardworking uh, man. Uh, he, I, I, I witnessed how he grew from, from being an employee of this uh, Japanese firm that, that set up in, in the Philippines to actually buying that firm. Wow. Um, to actually setting up his own kind of company. Um, I saw that as a kid. Yeah. Like um, I would visit him in his office and he would be, uh, bowing and, and reporting to uh, to his Japanese um, bosses to the point wherein he was actually negotiating the acquisition yeah. of, of the assets of the company during the Marcus era when uh, the economy was tanking and Marcus was being kicked out and all that stuff. The, the firm actually uh, decided to leave yep. the country and tasked my father with liquidating the assets of yep. the company. And so he decided to... Uh, Hey, you know, this is my chance. Let me acquire it yep. uh, and buy the rights to um, uh, to the market share um, of the company, and he did that. Yep. Um, and so I saw in him this kind of of tenacity and perseverance and focus about what he wanted to do, and 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 I, I follow that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, growing up, he was also had the tenacity and perseverance and focus to tell me, like, this is what you're going to do. It is what you're going to take up in college. This is <laughs> where you're going to go to school yeah. to the point wherein, uh, wait, um, I thought you're sending me to the best schools and give me the best education so I can decide for myself yeah. what is best for me. So why would I need to go through all that if if all I'm going to do is is what you want me to do? Sure. Um, so that's when the kind of conflict arose. But looking back and, and having a conversation with him now, um, he basically told me uh, back in my mid-30s uh, when we reconciled um, that he also admired my perseverance and tenacity and focus yeah. of, of you really wanted to live your own life. Nobody was going to stop you. You were really going to do what you wanted to do. Um, and those two traits uh i think we we share and yeah. the bond that that created between the two of us um so in fact he is my role model and and he saw in me basically the same kind of tenacity that 
he had it in himself. I love it. Yeah, I love it. What advice would you give? Yeah, I think you were 16 or 17 when mm-hmm. you came to the U.S., something like that. So you can take this at question at, at that time or slightly later. What advice would you give yourself at 16 or roughly at that transition point, looking back on your life now that, that you wish you would have had, or maybe it was advice you were already following that really helped you. I, I didn't really know what I was doing at 16. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to, uh, (laughs) I just wanted to, uh, to be on my own and not follow anybody's rules. Um, but if, if I meet me, when I was 16 today, I, I would really look at, you know, have understand where your parents are coming from, understand where your father is coming from, yep. because they only have your best interest at heart. Yep. Uh, you may want to pave your own path, but there are, certain, there are certain landmarks that all of us need to go through, right? We can't go from 16 to 54 and suddenly wake up and be the CEO of our own organization. Right. That, doesn't, that doesn't usually happen. Sure. You know. Um, but there are certain points in life wherein older or more elder people can actually guide you on. Yeah. Uh, life experiences are not necessarily happening for the first time. Yeah. It's happening for the first time to you. Yes. But it's it, it's not the first time for, for humankind to experience that. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm always reminding whenever I get to speak in front of college students or, or high school students, um, I tell, I know I've been there in your shoes, wherein you're just eager to start your life, yeah. you're eager to fulfill your dreams and wishes. But there are people who are 20 years older who exactly, you know, when they were at that point in your life, um, uh, were feeling the same thing and they had to go through certain experience. We all have to experience heartbreak, mm-hmm. right? We all have to experience disappointment and loss and we don't go through life, you know, skipping and hopping and, and happy every day. Yeah. So how do you cope? How do you cope when plans don't materialize? Yeah. How do you cope when dreams don't get fulfilled? Um, because don't necessarily define you. Yeah. You define you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Similarly to, to that last question, um, what is a strong belief that you hold that other people tend to think is crazy or disagree with? Oh man. Um, I don't know if they disagree, but I, I, whenever I speak at conferences, uh, and people ask me about leadership, I never saw leadership as, as being on the top or being, having the best ideas. Yeah. Uh, to me, leadership is really, you're, you're really at the bottom, um, holding either the ladder steady for other people to be able to climb up or, or steering the ship, um, so that it maneuvers through rocky waters. Mm. Um, you're not the first in the room. You're always the last, uh, you're not the first to be served. You're always, you know, if, if there's leftovers, (laughs) yeah, yeah, um, you get to have some as well. But to me, leadership is your your team mm. gets served first and your team looks at you not for simply direction of where to go but but to really make sure that the path that all of you are taking yeah. is is a solid path um that that you're not steering them inside of unknown territory so to me it's it's really the whoever holds the ladder at the bottom to keep it steady as people climb up that to me is that's leadership, is, that's leadership. yeah love it. 
Um, how about in life generally in the last you know, few years, what is a purchase of $100 or less that has most positively impacted your life or that you've most enjoyed and would recommend to others? Uh, man, what's so ironic is now that I can afford it, um, <laughs> I don't. I don't buy it. Uh, I used to buy, uh, even in my early early 20s like very expensive jeans yeah like um $180 yeah uh seven for mankind or sure. um uh what is that other uh there were there were like I was into like these expensive jeans that I would buy yeah now you look into my closet it's really like uh you know six pairs of old navy jeans yeah. um and and the last pair I bought was really like I think $18 Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> um, a few more questions, uh, and then we can we can wrap this up. The the la- uh, in terms of where you are right now, you know, you've hopefully got many many years left to to do amazing things. You've had an amazing life. You've come to the U.S. You you're the CEO of this foundation now. What at, at present would you say is the greatest accomplishment of your life so far? Oh shoot. Um, the work I'm doing. Um, I'm always really thankful every, every morning that I wake up, I'm looking forward to working, uh, and working in this community and, and, um, uh, working with the team that we have, uh, here at the foundation. Uh, we, we have, I think, uh, the smartest collection of, of people, um, uh, looking into, uh, into children and youth programs, uh, for the city. I, I, I think to me, everything else in my in my past career basically led me to this work right uh, every single job that i have contributed to the way i think about yep and the work that we do so to me this current work uh so far has been the most fulfilling okay uh you you're mentioning earlier your uh childhood hero your your father um I, i'm curious who in your experience is the wisest person you've ever met and why my husband um He's also a, a children's advocate. Uh, he worked for UNICEF. He worked for um, uh, for a nonprofit here in Austin that provided free um, surgery for children under fourteen with wow. uh, congenital heart defect. Um, and he's now consulting with a number of nonprofits with a focus on international uh, international work. Um, he's on the board of uh, the Haiti Cardiac Alliance. He's um, the reason why I, t- I I tell people he's he's one of the not necessarily the smartest but the, the wisest. Mm-hmm. Um, you think my background is 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 impressive? I mean, uh, my husband was left by his family uh, because he was gay. I mean, at, yeah. uh, at is he age, American? Or he's American. Yeah. Uh, grew up in Illinois. Uh, came out as gay to his family and it basically his family left him on his own yeah. at age 15. And so he had to tend on his own, um, but managed to complete high school, got a scholarship at uh, SMU, uh, got to work for uh, a global uh, corporation, uh, uh, an, employing, uh, an employment agency, uh, that's operated around the world where he got to travel around the world and, and training people yep. around employment practices to the point wherein he also worked for a human rights campaign in yep. Washington DC and, and, you know, for, 
for 14 years was uh, um, U.S. Fund for UNICEF's um, uh, director for national and strategic partnerships. So to me, to go from from being abandoned by your family at 15 to getting a scholarship at SMU to flying around the world, yeah. that takes guts. That takes you know strategy on your part. Yeah. And I've always asked him like, who mentored you? Who basically guided you and and when we first met um i never really knew his background until later on when we when we really started dating and 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 into where we've been together for 20 years now um but he he doesn't really have like a set of mentors but basically what he what he's done is really taken experiences in his life and really created a, um, a clear jigsaw puzzle of what he wants his future to be. I never knew what my future was going to look like at age 16. Yeah. And I never really created a pathway for my career to, you know, I'm, I'm going to work here and then here and then here. He, um, on the other hand, had, had a very strategic view of, yeah. of, of what he wanted to do and where he wanted to be. So I, I consider that to be very wise. Amazing. Um, Last question I want to ask you, uh, I, you, I think you, you, in this role, you've done many, many public appearances, probably done many, many interviews. What is a question that you have never been asked that you wish you would have been asked, um, so that you could answer it? Wow. A question that I wish people asked me, um, I wish people asked me why nonprofit work. Yeah. Um, because I could be doing this for a city agency, a public agency, or I, I, I could be running a, a corporate giving program. Yep. Um, I could have pers- uh, pursued investment banking and maybe sat on nonprofit boards, yep. right? Uh, yeah, that would be the question that I want people to ask me. Why, why nonprofit work? And how would you answer that? Uh, I always ask myself that. Yeah. I, I know I love doing this work, yeah. but sometimes I I struggle with, with answering that question because I think people have this notion of nonprofit work as not a business. Yeah. And to me, this is a business. We need to have, you know, financial acumen, we need strategy. We need um, HR policies. We need all of these things that you need to run an investment bank. Um, you need you need to be you know you need clear communications to get those clients yep. uh, to invest in the bank. We need clear communications to be able to um, reach out to our families. We need clear communications to get to uh, uh, to a donor base to get them to understand and and be passionate about our mission. Um, it is a business. Yep. Um, it needs to be professionally run. Uh, we're not just running this from the goodness of our hearts, but also from the smarts of our brains. Sure. Uh, but when you put those two together, yeah. when you put heart and mind together, it's a powerful force. Yeah. And so I think that's why, uh, you know, I want people to understand that's what nonprofit work is. It's, yeah. it's the combination of, of business acumen and, and passion for mission and the kind of of work that is measured not in not in terms of financial profits, but in change in community. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck. This Thank was terrific. You. Thank you so much, Richard. Terrific, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the ATX podcast. 
For more information, follow the show on social media. Its handle is The ATX Podcast and on the show's website, theatxpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.